We have a special guest tonight coming to share the word with us. His name is uh, Pastor Scott Gurley. He's on the pastoral staff here at Resurrection Life Church. He's a great friend of mine. So some of you, um, my name, I just started here a couple months back. And, and you know, when you start a new, th- a new job, you know, it's kind of like new and you don't really know what to expect. And, and I can say without a doubt that Pastor Scott has taken me under his wing and has encouraged me and has taught me things that I didn't know coming into a position like this. So I'm so thankful to call him a mentor. I'm so thankful to call him a friend. Scott, uh, why don't you come up here? Give him a round of applause. Pastor Scott Gurley. How y'all doing? Good. Well, hey, I appreciate you lending me your ears tonight. I appreciate you, Jake, and the Access team for giving me the opportunity to speak tonight. Uh, Can we get that podium up here? Um, So yeah, my notes are in there, so that's a good thing to have. Notes are good. He said he had men to bring it up. One man is enough. There we go. We are going to have some fun tonight. The message that Jesus and I have written for you, I believe is going to transform your hearts. It's going to give you a new perspective, and it's going to empower you to do this thing called being a believer. So we're going to kick off a series that uh, Pastor Jake asked me to start on prayer. So tonight we're going to talk about passionate prayer, the power of a persuaded heart. So have you ever wondered why do we pray? Really, why do, why do we pray? Why do we do it? How do we ask God for anything if he's already given us everything? Colossians chapter two says, for in him, the whole fullness of deity, the Godhead, continues to dwell in bodily form, giving complete expression of divine nature, and you are in him, made full and having come to fullness of life. In Christ, you too are filled with the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and reach full spiritual stature. So again, I ask you the question, how can we ask God for anything when it says right there that he's given us everything, that we have full spiritual stature because we're in Christ? So my assignment tonight is to introduce you to a life of passionate prayer and to teach you the power of a persuaded heart. And I'm addicted to truth. I hate deception, but I am addicted and totally sold out to truth. And here's the thing about deception. The beauty of deception is it can't be detected. And the enemy of our souls, the enemy of our lives, he only has the ability to deceive. He has no power in and of himself. And it all started in the garden with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were perfect. They lived in perfect unity with God. They talked with God every day. Now God told Adam, and here's the the language of fullness of the kingdom that I love. God told Adam, eat of anything in the garden except for this one tree over here, that tree will kill you. Don't eat of that one. So what does the enemy come do? He doesn't approach Adam, he approaches Eve. And as soon as you engage the enemy in a conversation, you've already started wrong. So Eve engages the enemy in a conversation and the enemy says, has God really said that you couldn't eat of any tree in the garden? Notice the deception. 
He's doing a, multiple, a multitude of things there. He's getting them to doubt the goodness of God. God said they could have anything in the garden except for the one tree that'll kill them. But his question was phrased in a way that brought doubt. Did God really say that you couldn't have anything in here? And she just says, no, he just said, we couldn't touch or eat of this one tree. But she was already done. She was already in the conversation. So what I wanna do tonight is I want to expose the lie and reveal the truth. And some of this is gonna be very empowering for you tonight. So when I was preparing this, I could see that some of you, not all, but some of you are gonna be radically transforming your perspective because you're gonna have the lie, you're gonna have the mask ripped away, the veil is gonna be torn back and you're gonna see who you really are and you're gonna have what I like to call radical permissions in the kingdom. So Jake introduced what I do here a little bit. I pastor our small groups community, which is really fun. I also pastor our singles ministry and our life groups, but I didn't start off as a pastor. I'm 37 today, been married for 11 years to my beautiful wife, Leanne. I have two boys that are warriors. They are eight and five, Stuart and Henry. So we, we have a really good time. I didn't meet the Lord until I was 20. God found me at rock bottom. And even at rock bottom, I was scratching and clawing at the bottom to see if there was anything else up under there. How many of you ever been to that place? So I'm at rock bottom, God finds me and pulls me out of there. But to give you a little bit of backstory, the reason why I love truth so much is because I was so good at a life of deception. I had a traumatic emotional experience when I was in second grade, not gonna go into that story. However, I don't remember the end of second grade to the beginning of fifth grade. Now in fifth grade, anybody remember the D.A.R.E. program? Drug and alcohol resistance, okay. So the D.A.R.E. program started when I was in fifth grade. So we go through this whole process. We learn that drugs and alcohol are bad. They, they actually teach that it's not fun, which that's, that's a lie. <laughs> if it wasn't fun, it, it, it wouldn't be a lure, but we'll touch on that in a minute. So we go through the D.A.R.E. program, and I remember Lieutenant Kirby was the guy with the, the Aiken County Sheriff's Department down in, in South Carolina, my hometown. So we go through the whole D.A.R.E. program, and we get ready to graduate. They, they do like a big little ceremony for you. So my neighbor brings a, pint, a Tupperware pint container full of Jim Beam to school. We're in fifth grade, right? So me, two other guys, we go in the bathroom and we're, we're drinking Jim Beam. It was disgusting. I didn't know at the time, I didn't know why, what the deal was until the brain cells started to die. And then the feeling comes along associated with killing brain cells. And you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. So we just hammered that pint, that Tupperware pint of Jim Beam. So I go back in to my classroom and I'm sitting there and things are spinning. Things are, they're, they're, they don't look right. So I fall out on the floor. I pass out on the floor. I wake up in the principal's office. I open my eyes to see my teacher, Lieutenant Kirby, with his badge shining, the principal, the vice principal, and my mom. It was a bad day. So I got expelled in the fifth grade. And if you're in fifth grade, like your social connections, that's all you know, that's your world. So if that gets disrupted, you're like, holy cow, this, life is over. I'm, I'm, it's, it's just, it's trauma. So 
I don't know what's gonna happen. I've been expelled from school. I'm thinking that my life's gonna be a disaster now because I've lost all my friends. Uh, the, the girlfriend I had dumped me because her they, they were they we were you know down south. The Southern Baptists are like Christian reform up here. It's just like heavily inundated. So her mom was really religious. He's like you're not you're not gonna date that guy. So I have an opportunity to go before the school board a week from my expulsion to plead our case to get back into elementary school. So I'm thinking, and it clicks with me that I can manipulate, I can deceive, I can fabricate a story, and I can influence the school board to get myself back into school. So the two other guys get up and they just say, I'm sorry, and then they have their seats. So I, had, I was prepared. You know, I had my khakis, my navy blue blazer, I had this whole presentation drawn out. And I grew up, my parents, they were, I don't know, you could label them alcoholics, maybe not, but they were heavy drinkers. So I lied. I got up and I said, I was so curious because I'd never seen alcohol at home that it was so alluring. And I just, I gave this long fabricated story. And my parents were sitting there they're like, oh, we're so proud. He didn't expose us. And you know, they're, they're thinking, you know, what a great fifth grader we have. So ended up, they let us all three back into school. So that solidified in my heart that I have the ability to manipulate, deceive, and lie, feed people whatever information I wanna feed them, and I can achieve my desired outcome. Glorious. So I spent the entire, my entire lifetime up until I was the age of 20, lying, deceiving, do whatever I wanted. I sold drugs, pretty much did every drug imaginable, was, you know, ran around, did everything that a fun teenage boy is supposed to do according to what I thought the world was supposed to be. Why do I say all that? Because I want you to realize, I'm not proud of that. However, God will use whatever it is that you've been through, whether it's mistakes, failures, He'll use those to equip you to represent his heart and to represent his nature. So Proverbs chapter four, verse 23, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, says, watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. Okay, we're gonna read that again and I want everybody to say heart when we get to it. Watch over your heart with all diligence for from it flow the springs of life. So it's essential to define what the heart is because it says right there that out of it flow the issues of life or out of it flow the springs of life. So the key to powerful, passionate, effective prayer is understanding what our heart is. And Jesus even talked about it with the woman at the well. He says, when you drink of me, from within you are gonna flow wells of living water. Jesus even says in John 6, 35 that those who I am the bread of life, those who believe in me will never hunger, those who follow me will never thirst. Do you, do you see the language of fullness? So again, I go back to the question we asked at the beginning. How do you ask God for anything when he's already given us everything? So what's wrong? Why do we not have prayers answered sometimes? Where's the disconnect? If we've been given fullness, we've been given full spiritual stature, what's wrong? I believe it's the inability for us to affect our own hearts because we don't understand what it is. And God immersed me in this 
the very night that I was born again at the age of 20, began to show me he was gonna take a drug dealer, turn him into a pastor. I began to weep at just the passionate picture that God was showing me in the hearts of his people that I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, immediately began to speak with other tongues. I didn't even know what it was. I was just expressing my thanksgiving and wonder and amazement and astonishment at what God was doing. Hebrews chapter four, verse 12. God's word is alive and working and it is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones and it judges the thoughts and feelings of the heart. That verse right there alone breaks down how we're made up. We are a spirit, we have a soul, we live in a body. So for believers, your spirit is alive in Christ. For non-believers, your spirit is dead or asleep. But the good news is tonight, we're gonna give you an opportunity to wake up and to start experiencing this life we call fullness. So you, have, you are a spirit, you have a soul, you live in a body. So your spirit is what God breathed into you. Your spirit is what was with God before the foundation of the world. It's the real you. Now your soul is your mind, will, and emotions. Now when we get born again, we don't get a new soul. We still have some of the same stupid thoughts, some of the same dysfunctional emotions, and the same lazy will. Those things don't change unless we take the finished work of the cross and start to apply those to our life. The Bible tells us to write on our heart, tells us to direct our heart, tells us to establish our heart and to believe in our heart. The realm of our heart is under our control. So God made our spirit perfect in the image of Christ. So when we're born again, our spirit's new, our spirit is righteous. Our mind is the battlefield for the soul the control center. That's where the old man and the new man clash. That's where the enemy loves to attack. And the old you, which is the false identity, who life told you you were until you met Jesus, constantly tries to get back into the control center and take over, right? It's a daily battle. It's what the Bible calls the good fight of faith. And the Holy Spirit loves this. The Holy Spirit loves this arena so where the old man and the new man clash. He loves to be in those moments. He loves to be in that space with us. He loves to take disclosure from the Father and bring it to us and reveal truth to us and tell, we, tell us who we really are. Like, kind of like what Jake was praying about before we even started worship. The Holy Spirit loves to tell you who you are, loves to tell you how much God loves you, loves to establish you in who he's created you to be. Romans chapter two. Romans chapter 12, I'm sorry, verse two. says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And in Aramaic, the original language that the New Testament was written in, instead of renew, it says renovate, which is kind of cool. I have two builders in my small group, which by the way, if you're not in a small group, I highly encourage it. Small groups are awesome. I don't know where I would be without mine. I mean, we sit around and it's just, you, you really learn how to be transformed when your life is rubbing up against someone else's. And there's friction there, but it's good friction. It gives truth to what the Bible says, iron sharpens iron as one man sharpens another. So it's in the context of small groups where you can be vulnerable, 
people can reflect who you really are without any judgment. You know, it's different from, you know, the casual, maybe even a little bit intimate relationships you have in a big service, but let's be honest with each other. We're not gonna share our deep, dark secrets with people that we casually see, right? I mean, it takes years of relationship to really dig in to the deep issues of our hearts. So two builders in my small group, I asked them, you know, renovate, kind of walk me through that process. And okay, well, Scott, it's two stages. The first stage is the teardown. And the next stage is the rebuild. So here's your mind, right? Here's your mind. It's a control center. Okay, it doesn't do anything in and of itself. So picture a room that has all these dials and controls in it, levers, monitors, however you want to see it, okay? And in this control center, there's a seat. And in that seat, only one person can sit, the old you or the new you. All the old junk that you thought, or the false identity who you thought you were or who you are in Christ. So what we're doing is we're renovating our minds. We're tearing down anything that resembles the old man because we don't want him to be in control. And we're fashioning this room so that way the new man could come in and control the levers. It's kind of like a race car. I'm a big race fan, I'm from the South, so it's a prerequisite that you love NASCAR. So race seats are, are, are specifically designed for a particular driver. So what they do is they'll put a driver in a styrofoam mold to mold him his every inch. And then they'll make a carbon fiber seat, you know, just specifically for him. So it kind of, it's the same analogy. And each driver has a different design of where they want their controls. Because when you're going 200 miles an hour with 40 other dudes, you, you don't want to be looking down to go, where's that button? Oh yeah, there it is. You're going to hit the wall or you're going to hit another car. So it's the same thing that we're looking at when we're living this life that we call Christians. We wanna have our spirit be in the perfect environment in the arena of our minds to be able to conquer life. So when we pray from a place of fullness, we discover how to renovate our minds to relate with the mind of Christ. We're putting our spirit in the driver's seat. Then we're able to prove what the will of God is in our lives, which is good, which is acceptable, which is perfect. We're able to start playing out what the will of God is for us and others in the context of prayer. So here's what it's saying about renewing the mind. When we're born again, our heart is new. However, we have the ability to affect our heart. If we continue to think the way we've always thought, we're gonna soon corrupt our hearts. This is why it's so easy to believe God when we're first born again. It's something new. It's exciting. Something new has been written upon our hearts. When I was first born again, I was a recovering drug addict. But somehow, I believed God enough to be healed from scoliosis of the back, which is an incurable disease, which my grandmother was plagued with it. Her back was like a question mark. And I was in so much pain on my way back from Woodstock 99. So when I got born again, I had tickets to Woodstock 99. I wasn't gonna miss the show. I didn't do all the drugs that I had planned to do before I'd gotten born again. But here I am on the drive back from Rome, New York, down to South Carolina, and my back is in so much pain, we get out at a Burger King, and I'm laying on the hot asphalt. But somehow, I'm able to comprehend that God can change the natural to bring about His good will for me. And I knew that He 
had the desire. I knew that he had completed the work to heal. And right there, recovering drug addict, no more than 48 hours removed from drinking and doing drugs did I receive a miraculous healing. Receiving the promises of God is never about what you do. It's never about your behavior. It's about the complete work of Jesus and what he did. The gospel is never about what we do. It's all about what he did. And I'm not advocating going and doing that. I'm just giving you an illustration of how good God is despite us. So remember, the heart is the place. The heart is the place to where the springs of life flow. And in Hebrews, it talked about how the word of God can split the spirit and soul. So imagine you have this container called the heart. And inside the heart is where the spirit, which is perfect and eternal in the image of Christ, merges with the soul, the mind, will, and emotions that are being renewed or renovated day by day. So it's in the heart where the real you is found. It's the seat of your being. It's that place from which your life is governed. And writing on the heart, here's the interesting thing. When we write something upon our hearts, two things are present. Information and strong emotion. And the sad thing is this. A lot of what is written upon our hearts wasn't our choice. It happens when we're young. Too often it's the product of pain. It's the product of sorrow. We've been hurt by a parent. We've been abused by a parent. We've been abused by somebody else. We've been hurt by somebody we considered a mentor or a teacher. Someone spoke some negative words over us or treated us in a way, gave us information about who they thought we were, and we processed that with the strong emotion, and then we incorporated that deep in our hearts. And for some of us, that's still there. That junk is still down in there, governing our lives, and we don't even know it. And that, my friends, is why we don't experience the fullness of God. Our greatest challenge, it's not about how much sin we can avoid or how polished we can make our behavior or how nice we can be to our enemies. Our biggest challenge is learning how to walk in the fullness of God because he's given us everything. And for us, if we completely yield ourselves and accept the fact that God has given us everything, that he is perfect, he is good, and that he is in us, there is no defense for extravagant love. But even though all these things that were written upon our hearts weren't our choice, the good news is, is that we now have a choice. We now have an opportunity to partner with Jesus. We now have the opportunity to accept our new identity in Christ and understand that he makes all things new. We have the tools to establish this new identity in Jesus. That's prayer. We're now capable of persuading our hearts of the love that God has for us. We can now experience the power of God's grace to empower us to live in righteousness and complete victory. And that's what we're doing in prayer. When we get into passionate prayer, we're establishing our heart in truth. We're allowing ourselves to be loved by him absolutely and fully. And then we open ourselves up to the place to where his extravagant love shows us who we really are. First Peter chapter one, verse eight says, you have not seen him, but you love him. You do not see him now, but you believe in him. And so you rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy because you are attaining the goal of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. If you're aiming your faith at anything else, you're gonna miss the mark. Right there, Peter says, the goal of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Why would he say that? Do you see what it's saying? Okay, go back to the heart, okay? So if the heart is made up of the spirit, which is perfect in the image of Christ, and the heart is made up of my soul, which is my mind, my will, and my emotions, and the goal of my faith is the salvation of my soul, what I'm really doing is I'm convincing my soul, my mind, my will, and my emotions of the perfection that exists in my spirit because of what Jesus Christ has done. And the more that I convince my soul, the more I aim my faith at salvation of my soul, the more of God's life is gonna flow out of me in an effortless way. Then that's where the power of God flows. That's where deliverance comes into play. That's when we're healed and we're set free. Not because we're sitting there thinking, oh, I'm extending my faith to get healed. No, I'm extending my faith just to believe God. If we believe God, all the other stuff falls into place. It's real simple. Jesus says the gospel is easy. It's light. So I want to talk to you real quick about how to imagine. Do you guys ever imagine things? I know we do it in a negative way. Negative things happen, how, how quickly can we go to, to worry? Picturing the worst case scenario, how it's gonna play out, next thing you know, we're worrying. That's easy for us. But I want you to see this in the context of your heart, okay? Perfection, applying that perfection to your soul. And then everything else will flow out of you. It's kinda like train tracks, okay? Train tracks, you've got two rails. The more that you can bring your soul in alignment with the perfection within, the more is gonna flow. And you have to get into the habit of imagining that, creating what that looks like in your mind so your mind lines up with the mind of Christ. So prayer establishes our heart in truth and it aligns our soul with our spirit to achieve unity, allowing the life of God to flow out. So this might come as a shock when I say this, but prayer does not move God. Some of you thought it did, right? Okay, I can see some light bulbs going on. Prayer does not move God. Prayer moves my heart. Prayer does not move God no more than the moon gives light to the sun. We like to think that it does because it helps us think that somehow we're gonna get God to respond. Jesus says, I do nothing unless I see the Father do it. So you've got the Father in heaven who initiates everything. And that if anything that we do in our lives isn't a response to his goodness, what are we trying to accomplish? We're trying to manipulate God to achieve a certain outcome, kind of like what I said about going in front of the school board to get myself back into school. That's what we're doing. We don't want to admit it, but that's what we're doing. So prayer does not move God. Prayer moves my heart. And what that looks like, if God has given us everything, God is the only one I know who gives us everything up front and then teaches us how to walk in it. It takes away all the presumption. It takes away all the motives. It takes away anything that we could possibly think when we go into prayer. So now when we go into prayer, we're not going into prayer functionally. Because if we think that prayer moves God, we're gonna think of it as a function. We're gonna go in it with our list of things that we need, 
God, I need you to take care of this. I need this taken care of. I got this and this, this. I think we got it all covered. Thank you, Lord. Have a great day. I'm out. However, when God gives us everything, we are able to go into that space with thanksgiving and praise, not functionally, but relationally. There's this relational space that God is calling us in because he wants to captivate our hearts and expose us to his goodness. He doesn't want us to come into his presence needy, desperate, lack. That's what the enemy tries to convince us of. He did it with Eve and he does it with you and he does it with me. We are to go into God's presence completely satisfied because of the finished work of Christ, Jesus says it is finished. So from God's perspective, it's done. It's completely done. Now, the appropriation of that victory, that's up to us. And that's where it gets fun. Psalm 84.11, I don't have this one up there, but Psalm 84.11, um, I love this verse because it provides so much freedom. It says that the Lord withholds no good thing from those whose walk is blameless. In Christ, our walk is blameless. So in Christ, we lack nothing. In Christ, we have all good things. So it takes the responsibility completely away from God. So if we're not satisfied with life or if life circumstances aren't turning out the way that we like, I can guarantee you, you can't point the finger at God. He gave his best. He gave Jesus Christ. Jesus suffered humiliation. He suffered the worst possible torture any of us could ever possibly go through. And that, my friends, is what the sovereignty of God is all about. The sovereignty of God is perfectly displayed as Jesus drags that cross up to Calvary, bleeding and tortured, taking upon all of our sickness, all of our shame, took it all upon his body. And you rewind his first time he taught in the synagogue. He read the prophecy of Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. So if you ever doubt that God wants to give you sickness to teach you a lesson, God wants to keep you in a situation so that way you learn how to trust him, that goes against what Jesus says when he says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, sent me to heal the brokenhearted, bring freedom to the captives, sight to the blind, break the chains of the oppressed, for this is the year of the Lord. He says, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. That is fullness. That is goodness. The Father's given us everything so we can come to him and relate to him in that place of fullness with just absolute praise and thanksgiving. We don't have to go to him like he's a sugar daddy and we have to please him a certain way and jump through all these hoops the right way and say the right prayer or say the right things in a certain way to get him to act. He's already acted. It's all done. And that is great news. So it's important to understand what we're really doing in prayer. We're breaking bondages. We're enforcing the victory of Jesus and this is glorious warfare. Jesus has given us complete authority. Every day we get to stomp a mud hole in the devil and walk it dry. Isn't that glorious warfare? Doesn't that just sound like awesome? It's like Gladiator or Braveheart. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three through five. This is one of my identity verses. And I encourage you, if you don't have an identity verse, ask God to show you one. Because if you have an identity verse, it helps you kind of understand who he's created you to be. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are, are, are mighty. They're not carnal, they're mighty through God for pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. And I love that last part. You know what? If you don't like your thoughts, have another one. <laughs> we are not subject to the random thoughts that we have in our minds. We are not victims to the things that happen around us and how our brain processes it. We are in control, we're in the driver's seat. So in prayer, we're breaking bondages over our own lives first. Because our first priority in prayer in this relational space is that we're captivated by the love that God has for us and we begin to conquer ourselves. The Bible says that greater is he who conquers himself than he who conquers a whole city. So don't think you're gonna go out on this crusade to save the world until you first conquer yourself. That, my friends, is where the battle is won. When you take the victory of Jesus and you conquer yourself, you confess this over yourself. Devil, you have no authority over my life. The false identity that you've helped raise up within my heart, I banish it in Jesus' name. I accept the new identity which he's given me, which says I'm loved, I'm affirmed, I'm approved, I'm a conqueror, I'm an overcomer. Nothing can stop me. All things are possible. I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. That is who you are. That is your identity. And I promise you, you will not regret putting the effort in to entering that rest, to entering into the knowledge of who you really are. So when we're confident in God's love for us, we're bold and courageous and we begin to free others through intercession. So here's what wrong prayer looks like. And I'm not making fun of you if you've done this because I've done it too. So let's say we've got loved ones or friends that are lost, they don't know Jesus. Here's how we pray for them. God, I just thank you that you saved Johnny. I thank you that you saved Johnny from all of his alcoholism and his drug habits and Lord, I just thank you that you save him in Jesus' name. And we go out the door, we feel good. Oh, God's got it taken care of. God's in control, right? He's gonna, he's gonna save Johnny. Wrong. God already saved Johnny. It's a done deal. The work is finished. It's our job as believers to strike down the enemy with the authority of Jesus, to rebuke those bondages in Johnny's life, so that way then Johnny can see it's kind of like this. What person in their right mind would go flying down 28th Street at 100 miles an hour, blindfolded, running every red light? Right? They get to, they get to 131, the bridge is out. There's signs all over the place, road closed, bridge out. They can't see. They're blindfolded and they got their foot in the gas. People that are lost are doing the same thing spiritually. They're flying through life. The enemy's got them blindfolded. They don't know what's going on. And they're going towards the, they're going and the bridge is out. And they're just going to plunge right into eternity, into eternal damnation. And we're asking God to save them. Sorry, God, the work that you did through Jesus, that wasn't enough. I need you to go save them. That's baloney. How do we ever get the idea 
that God's gonna do something above and beyond the finished work when Jesus says it's finished. It's finished, but you know, if you, if you ask me, I'll move and I'll go and save your friend. Do you see the radical permissions that this gives you over the lives of people that you love and care for that are lost? You have the authority. You have the empowerment. You have Christ in you, the hope of glory, to speak into your friends' lives and to have them know, know Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter four says, if the good news that we preach is hidden only to those who are lost, the devil who rules this world has blinded the minds of those who do not believe. They cannot see the light of the good news, the good news about the glory of Christ, who is exactly like God. So no one in their right mind is gonna plunge into eternity and be on the wrong side of it. They're blinded. God has done his part. He gives us the privilege of taking authority over the enemy, pushing him aside, so that way whoever we're praying for, or interceding for, can see the glory of Christ. You see the radical permissions that gives you? It's not passive, it's aggressive. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14 says, so then, we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the son of God. Let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weakness for he faced all of the same testings as we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and will find grace to help us when we need it most. So Jesus is our advocate and mediator. He's praying for us always. How'd you like to eavesdrop on that prayer? Isn't that beautiful that we get to participate in the divine community of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? So you got the Father in heaven. This is how I picture it. This is how I imagine my time with, my time with the Father. You know, I imagine I'm sitting in his lap. You know, I'm laid back on his chest. You know, I got my head, my face close to his. And he's just showing me all the fullness of the kingdom. This is yours. This is this is all yours. This is your inheritance. Because there's a big difference to when we go from getting our needs met to walking in our inheritance. And as the children of God, we sang it earlier, I am a child of God, right? A child walking into his, in his, in his inheritance is a glorious thing. So that's how I picture it. So you've got the father who initiates everything. Nothing is done without the father initiating it. And then you've got the Holy Spirit who loves to come to us and disclose what the Father says. So you've got the Father saying, go tell him this about him. Go reveal this truth about him and who I've made him to be and what I want him to do. Go tell her I love this about her. So the Holy Spirit's constantly doing that, comforting us with truth, disclosing the Father's good nature to us. So then you got Jesus constantly in the Father's ear interceding for us. Isn't that awesome that we get to participate in that? To me, that just, it's, it's just so empowering because here's what happens. It creates a new reality for us. God's reality for us. I'm gonna be as bold as to say that I believe what God's word says over anything I'll ever see with my physical eyes. And that's a great place to be. And it's where God wants each and every one of you. Because here's the thing about reality. 
Maybe you've gotten reports, a medical report. Maybe somebody's told you that you've got borderline schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder. Maybe you've been diagnosed with ADD, OCD, whatever it is. Okay? You can accept that as a reality, sure. Or you can get a new reality. And the new reality in Jesus is far more empowering, is far more radical, and it's a lot more fun. I was diagnosed with OCD, ADD. I was diagnosed with severe depression because I did so much ecstasy, I completed the serotonin levels in my body. Sure, I could have gotten, I could have gone on with that reality. Probably would have killed myself or just be a complete wreck right now. The empowering part about radical permissions in Christ is choice. It's totally up to you how much of the goodness of God, how much of his reality that you're gonna experience in this life right here, right now. You've been diagnosed with a physical ailment, God can take care of that. You've been diagnosed with a mental disorder, God can take care of that. Will you get into that relational space and persuade your heart of number one, his good intentions, and number two, of his power that he exerted in Christ when he said it's finished. He is so good that he wants all of us to walk in absolute, complete freedom. Physical, emotional, mental, you name it, he wants us there. So after that, we get the realization that we are a royal priesthood. We are his priest in the earth and it's more radical permissions because what he sanctioned us to do on his behalf is wonderful. Listen, he designed each and every one of you before the foundation of the world, the Bible says that you belong to Christ. So each of you has a purpose that only you can accomplish and that only you can facilitate. And it's wonderful. Jesus is called wonderful. And if Jesus is in us, shouldn't we be called wonderful? And wonderful pretty much just means full of wonder. We should live every day with such radical permissions that we explore the wonders and the fullness of what he wants to do in and through us. First Peter chapter two, I love how this writes it in the Message Bible. It says, but you are the ones chosen by God, chosen for the high calling of priestly work, chosen to be a holy people, God's instruments to do his work and speak out for him, to tell others of the night and day difference he made for you, from nothing to something, from rejected to accepted. I'm laughing because somebody wrote a smiley face in my notes. There you go. But can you see the radical permissions right there? We're not supposed to be timid believers who don't know what the will of God is. We're supposed to be empowered, bold men and women of God who are walking around aware and alert for wherever the enemy's gonna show his ugly face and be ready to smite him with the finished work of the cross. That's fun, right? Or we can, we can make the other choice. We can sit back and assume that everything that happens is God's will and it's just our lot in life and we can live defeated, we can live with a victim mentality and we can just soak in it. Your choice. Which, which one would you choose? 
fast you right now. Tomorrow it all ends. What are you gonna do right now? Are you gonna be empowered? Are you gonna be bold? Or are you gonna be a victim? As a royal priesthood in the kingdom, we have to make that choice. Here's where that choice starts. We have to be so immersed in the word of God. If we're not in the word, we can't complain about anything that we're not experiencing in our lives. The word of God is so important, it's life. We read earlier about how it's sharp, it's alive, it's quick. It's the only thing that can help us expose our own hearts to realize what's written there that's bad, that's causing junk in our lives and to rewrite something new. The word of God is a mirror. When you look at the word, it acts like a mirror. It reflects back who God has made you to be. That's the first thing I ask people when they come up for prayer or counseling. What is your time with God like? And what verse in the Bible are you standing on about your situation? If they can't tell me that, they're just looking to get placated. They're just looking to justify how they feel. And I often wonder, do they really wanna be delivered or they just want to find someone who will identify with them in their pity so that way they can justify blaming God and stay in the situation they're in? Because after all, it may be comfortable. Any of you ever gotten sick and thought, oh, it's, it's okay that I'm sick. I don't have to go to work the next day. Come on. Who hasn't thought that before? <laughs> but that's just a small example of how we embrace lies. And the beauty of deception is that Satan will bring a lie in the form of truth. He'll give you truth and there's a lie inside. It's like if you have to give a dog a pill, what do you do? You cover it in peanut butter. The dog will eat the peanut butter. He has no idea he just ingested the pill that you wanna give him. But if you just try to give him the pill, He's not gonna take it. Can you imagine Eve's response? If the serpent would've came in and says, all right, eat the apple, you're gonna give me authority and you guys are gonna die. She'd have been like, what are you talking about, fool? It's not gonna happen, right? Deception is over a long period of time. It takes you to a dark place or a dark alley so it can knock you over the head. Nobody wakes up one day and goes, you know what? Today, I just wanna mess up my whole life. You know what, today I'm gonna wake up, I'm gonna go out, I'm gonna cheat on my wife, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna set an example for my two boys about what it means to be an adulterer. Sounds like a good idea today. No, we don't make those decisions, but you have to watch out for the enemy because he's crafty, he's deceitful. He's gonna try to throw you off track. So if you're not in the word, he's gonna eat your lunch and pop the bag. Get in the word, get immersed in it. It'll show you who you are. It's in the word where we see that he has given us everything. So the only thing left is relationship where he is constantly looking to upgrade our experience in goodness. So we don't lack any good thing. All God wants to do in prayer is draw us into that relational space so he can upgrade our experience of him. The Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. There's fullness there. There's no restraint. Here's the table, it's set, come and eat, be a glutton. In the things of God, there's no such thing as gluttony. The Bible says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled and be drunk with the spirit. 
With the things of God, there's, no, there's, no, there's not enough. There's, you, can't, you can't pray enough. You can't get in the word enough. You can't enjoy God enough. He's too deep. He's too wide. He's too good. He's too awesome. We'll wrap this up here with 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm going to start in verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get that grace and peace multiplied to you, and you can't gain knowledge if you're not in the Word. Seeing that His divine power, I love this, His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the true knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence, by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. This is passionate prayer. We take the promises of God. We persuade our hearts that they're true because of who they came from. We get to experience those promises and we get to partake of the divine nature of God. How cool is that? How, does that not just spark your curiosity to get out of the mundane daily life, the daily grind of mediocrity and to just dive into his fullness because it never ends? See, for me, I believe the lie that drugs and alcohol, promiscuity, deception, lie, all that stuff, I believed that that brought fulfillment. Hook, line, and sinker. And I got to participate in the nature of the enemy. But now that God gives us his divine and precious promises, to me, that's just so awesome because it's a better feeling than when I did drugs. And some of you, that might be hard to understand. But just as I was writing this sermon, you know, I get more of a high and I get more jacked up off doing this than any drug I ever tasted. And I did them all. I mean, I'd be, I'd be surprised if you could name one that I didn't do. And again, I'm not saying that because I'm proud or I'm an African. I'm not saying to go out and do that so that way you can develop a contrast. The same grace that delivered me is going to be the same grace. The same grace that delivered me is the same grace that teaches you to say no. That's the point I'm trying to make. But when our hearts are fully persuaded of his love, that's where we taste and see that he is good. So we're never at lack, we're never without. The only thing missing is that relational experience with the kindness of the Father. So prayer is that relational space where God connects us with the fullness of Christ. And God showed me to, 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 to close the message with this. I gave a prophecy to someone last Saturday and at the end of it, God showed me this to give to you tonight. How many of you have problems sometimes? Okay, I'm looking who doesn't raise their hand. I wanna go, meet, I wanna go get in with them. <laughs> Whatever you're doing, I wanna do that. Okay, so what happens when we experience problems? Do we get worried? Do we get anxious? Do we get scared? Of course, there's that temptation. But what if, it, what if this was our reality? When a problem comes, what if God was hijacking that problem with a promise? Because God would never even allow a problem to come into our life. He would stop it if it was gonna overcome us. So what if that problem, God's hijacking it with a promise. But if we don't know the promises, 
If we're not immersed in his word, which tell us about his magnificent and precious promises, we're not gonna know, we're gonna be overcome by that problem. So here's what happens, problem comes. Instead of looking at it as a frustrating, temporary thing that we have to jump over, why don't we look at it as an exciting possibility to see the goodness of God and participate with his divine nature? Because here's the cycle, problem, promise, and here's the best part, provision. Recognize the problem, get excited about it, find the promise, and you receive the provision. That, my friends, is fullness. If everyone, real quick, if you would, bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to present an opportunity here. For those of you who have not been awakened on the inside, I can't explain what it's like no more than I can explain what the most extreme roller coaster in the world feels like. You have to get on it and ride it for yourself. So if you're out there at the sound of my voice tonight, whether sitting in here or you're online, and you're thinking, I want to taste and see that the Lord is good. I want to know without a shadow of a doubt that I am not plunging down that road to eternity of damnation. But I can also experience the fullness of Christ right now in this life. If that's you, your heart's probably starting to beat. It's probably starting to race. The enemy's bringing his lies and he's bringing his deceit, telling you that this would be a decision a moron would make. That Christians are crazy. But all of us believers, we got born again because we met somebody crazy. Crazy enough to believe that what God says is true. Crazy enough to believe that what God said about us is true. And crazy enough to believe that God is who he says he is. So I'm gonna count to three for those of you who are out there. And at three, I want you to raise your hand and to just be bold and you are going to have the life of God light you up on the inside. You're gonna wake up. You're gonna see goodness. You're gonna see purity. You're gonna see wholeness and fullness and you're gonna discover who you really are. One, you're saying I'm bringing all my guilt. I'm bringing all my shame. I'm bringing all my sin. I'm bringing all my wrongdoing. I'm bringing my false identity. I'm bringing that crown that I've been wearing for so long and I am tired of it. I'm bringing it and I'm laying it down too. You're saying, I wanna meet this savior called Jesus. I want him to sit on the throne of my heart. I want him to show me why he sacrificed his own life to give me his life. I wanna experience that. I wanna know the power of his resurrection and experience the fellowship of his sufferings. Three, raise your hand if that's you. Got one over here, thank you for your boldness. Anyone else? Anyone else? Good. Hey man, if you would, stand up for me. All of you guys who are around him, I want you to lay hands on this guy. Okay, and we're gonna pray. We're all gonna pray the same prayer. Now, more, more of you, just get out and go lay hands on this guy. This is an awesome deal. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one person comes to repentance. And it's an exciting thing and it's a celebration. So we're all gonna say this prayer together. And man, you pray this from your heart. And right now, all of heaven is just dancing for you. Father God, repeat after me. Father God, thank you for your divine gift of Jesus Christ, my salvation. I repent and turn to you to experience the fullness of life that you gave so much for me to have. 
I confess that I am yours. Jesus, I confess that you are Lord. And I embrace the fullness of the kingdom. And I will never be the same. I'm part of your family, a part of your kingdom, a part of heaven forever and ever. Amen. Can you guys give him a hand? That's awesome.